it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be around the family of faith. It's good to see the people of God. Amen. What a beautiful day it is. Can somebody say hello, fall in it? Nice to get a little cool, cool weather in the morning. It is an awesome time in the Lord. Mark, you can bring me down a little bit. I think I'm hearing a little bit of ring. Amen. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord with the family of faith. It's good to look around and see the people of God. What a beautiful day it is. What a beautiful time it is that you can hear the word of the Lord. Can somebody say amen to that? Isn't it good to hear God's word? Amen. I pray that you allow the word of the Lord to be absorbed in your heart today. I, I pray that you came all this way. You got so prettied up and you're looking good that you say, look, I'm going to take full advantage of the time that I have before the Lord to hear what God has to say. Do I have an amen for that? So I'm going to have you stand. Of course, you know that we have been in a series called The Names of God. And, and we, we kind of, you know, uh, uh, had to suspend, not suspend. <laughs> Last Sunday, uh, Daniel got married and Maddie got married. And so uh, we were in Celeste, Texas, uh, taking part of that occasion. And so I had to uh, uh, kind of move the rest of the series uh, beginning today. We've got actually, this series is probably going to take us maybe maybe 10 weeks or so to get through this series on the names of God. I want you to know just how powerful the names of God truly are, the names of Christ. Do you know that in the Bible there are over 300 names concerning Christ in the Bible? And that Yeshua is not his only name. And we're going to get to some of those aspects. And I pray that uh, you will take that name on as you go. How many did they know that Jesus has given you the power of attorney to use his name? Somebody say hallelujah to that. That when you go out into the world, when you move about, whatever you see in the world, you have the name of Jesus to combat anything that would come against you. And so we're going to be talking about that. And more importantly today, my heart is that you would go, that we would make impact into the world. And we're going to be talking about that today. So in this, this second message is entitled Under and Over, Under and Over. And I just want you to put that in your mind. This week, and as you begin the process of understanding the names of God, I want you to think of that phrase, under and over, under and over, as you are going out into the world to make impact. So if you have your Bibles, let's do this. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me. We're going to be in St. Luke chapter 7, St. Luke chapter 7, and I want to read a portion of Scripture. I was thinking about maybe reading this out of uh, uh, Matthew, but I think I'm, I think I'm going to, uh, I think I'm going to stay here uh, in in St. Luke chapter 7, uh, such a beautiful rendition of what we know as the faith of the centurion. Now, before you get too carried away, I'm going to ask you today to put a pause button on the faith of the centurion because I don't think you know the story like you think you know it. And today we're going to talk about his faith and I'm going to express a valuable truth in that. So if you're in St. Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. This, of course, is the story of the faith of the centurion. And it begins here. Uh, St. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it reads like this. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant, now watch this, who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. So I'm, I'm going I'm to repeat that one more time. And a certain centurion servant 
who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. I'm going to read that one more time for somebody because I don't want you to miss what's happening here. Because this story is not about the centurion. The story is about the servant who's ready to die. So I want you to catch this. Watch what happens. It says, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. Notice what they said, for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Huh? For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Did you see that? He marveled at him. <laughs> he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Ah, y'all ready to get into this with me? Will you bow your heads? Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this hour. We thank you for the time that we have together under the tutelage of your word. Holy Spirit, without your help, we won't come out of here with nothing unless you impress this word, unless you drive this down into our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, we need this word today more than we need the very food that we eat. Let this be bread unto us. Let, let us eat. We pray that this word that will be planted in our hearts will yield back, will, will yield back into the kingdom of heaven a hundred times that which was sown. And we pray that, we pray that return in Jesus' name. And we pray blessing upon the family of faith as we move forward. And we pray your help and strength. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, before you get seated, go find somebody. If you didn't see Sister Connie in the back of the room, Sister Connie Sanchez, and then go give him a hug and tell him, hey, this morning it's under and over. Go find somebody, hug him, say, this morning it's under and over. It's under and over. It's under and over. Go find somebody, say hello to somebody. Amen. It's under and over. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. I'm, I'm looking for Mark. Mark, are you somewhere, Mark? Bring me down a little bit, Mark. Praise the Lord. Bring me down a little bit. Praise the Lord. Bring me down a little bit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Very good. Very good. 
It's, it's under and over, amen, under and over. Well, you put that in your mind today, it's under and over. It's under and over, amen. Again, it's so good to have guests in the house of the Lord. Welcome to the house of the Lord. I know we still got a lot of people out, but we'll, we'll be full again next Sunday. But it's awesome to be in the house of the Lord. Do you know the Bible says, do you know the Bible says that even just two or three of us, we could turn the world upside down if we collectively come together in our faith. Amen. It's, it's, it's powerful when people come together in the house of the Lord. I want to give to the church something this morning that the Spirit of the Lord woke me up to give to me concerning this church, Harvest Point Church. Uh, and I know that people will be watching this message uh, through stream and, and church stream TV. We've got people that watch from, from each side of the coast, one to another. But this is particular to us. So I want you, if you're a member, a guest, a friend of Harvest Point Church, I want you to cue in. I want you to really listen. The Spirit of the Lord brought me to a particular passage. But before I give you that passage, I, I, I want to... I want to spark the conversation. I want, to, I want to give weight to the conversation by helping you understand what is worship. Because it's my perception that there's very little worship in the house of the Lord. I want you to understand that, that, that there, is, there is a way by which we give to God a measurement could I suggest there is a way that we give to God a measurement of what he's worth? For that in and of itself is the expression of what worship is. Worship is worth-ship. In other words, we have the spiritual mind that allows us to determine how much is God worth. Could you ask yourself that question? How much is God worth to you? Have you ever stopped in, in your life to, to give some measure of worth to God? Because it's through the worth that you attribute to God that you can truly worship God. For if you haven't given to God all that he's worth, how can you worship? Yes, I, 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 I love the beloved. The, the beloved does something extraordinary in the Bible. The Bible says that in Revelation chapter 4, and the Spirit of the Lord, as I was going to sleep, dropped this verse into my heart. He reminded me of, of Revelation chapter 4. In fact, if you have your Bible, you might want to go there because this is getting real specific to Harvest Point Church because I want to stoke the worship here at Harvest Point Church. I, I want to stoke worship in your personal life. So I want to talk about this act of worship. Uh, if you're in the book of Revelation, uh, go down to the very last uh, few verses. Uh, I want to say uh, in, Re in Revelation chapter 4, the last two or three verses of Revelation 4, if I remember this right, that the Bible says that the revelator uh, in, in the beginning of that chapter says that the Spirit of the Lord brought him to the throne of God. Yeah. Oh, somebody hear that. That, that, that the revelator was brought before, hear it again, to the throne of God. And there, the revelator, the beloved, saw what it is to worship God. Oh, uh, here we go. At the very end of that, of that chapter, he gives a, a summarization when he says, and he saw the four and twenty elders... 
The Bible, in fact, let me, let me read this. He saw the 420 hours. I was going to uh, try to uh, paraphrase it, but it may just be best just to read it verbatim through the word of the Lord. This is what he says. He says, the 420 elders fall down before him. Are you there? That sat on the throne and worship him that liveth. You there? And the 420 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him. I'm going to say it one more time, man. You got to cry, you got to grab this. The 420 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And the Bible says, and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord. Did you see that? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive. Now, I don't want you to move too fast because I want you to understand, if you're going to give to God something, you're going to give it to him through worship. Let let me say that one more time because you might miss that. If you're going to give anything to God, if you purpose to give anything to God, you're going to give it through the vehicle of worship. Anybody want to give something to God? Worship him. You have a heart for God? Worship him. You want to devote yourself? Worship him. You've got to give it to God through worship. That's the vehicle that God receives through. The vehicle of worship is how we give to God. So notice what it says. It says here, that thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were and are created. I want you to catch that. Think about that for a moment. Anybody have here, anybody here with a, with a passion, with a desire to give to God what he's worth? Anybody came here today to say, you know what? We used to call services like this worship services. We were coming to give to God that which was in us to the fullness of that we could give it because he's worthy. This is worship. Let me say this. If you don't put God in his rightful place, everything else in your life is in disorder. Uh, Because this whole issue is about worship. Uh, Let me show you this. Do you know that Jesus says, think not that I've come to send peace on earth. I've not come to send peace but a sword. Because I've come to set a man at variance with his own father. And a daughter with her mother. And a daughter-in-law gets her mother-in-law. And a man's foes, catches shall be they of his own household. In other words, the things that are in your house are going to be challenged. You want to say, well, how? Jesus says this. If you love your father more than me, you're not worthy. You can't worship. If you love your children, your sons and daughters more than me, you can't worship me. Because I have to be the single greatest thing in your life. My worth to you should be so far beyond anything here. And if you're going to worship me, I've got to be number one. This is what we call preeminence. Do this with me. I got you in Revelation. You know how sometimes they say preachers preach from Genesis to Revelation? I'm going to do it this morning. Go with me to Genesis 4. 
because I'm going to walk you through something. I'm not even talking about the centurion. I'm trying to help you to worship God. And friend, I'm here to tell you, God deserves the best of our worship. Right? Whatever we do for God, whatever you do for God, whatever you purpose to attribute to God, do it through worship. Think about how great he is before you attempt to do something for God. Whatever you're going to do, whatever service, whatever labor, whatever conversation, think about how great he is. Then speak out of his greatness. Worship him. Are you in Revelation, uh, pardon me, Genesis chapter 4, right? She could say, I took you to Revelation 4. We went, you could tell people, in our church, we went from Genesis 4 to Revelation 4. That's how much we got, right? Because I'm going to feed you some meat. Anybody want some meat, right? So we're going to talk about it. You see, uh, Genesis chapter 4. A few, a few weeks ago, Sister Connie, a few weeks ago, Brother Nick, we got into a series on keeping God first. And, and I don't know if you watched that on, the, uh, on stream. I don't know if you guys tune in, you watch the thing. But, you know, uh, my heart is that we always keep God first because God is preeminent. And he cannot be second by his own nature, right? And, and one of the things we talked about, Sister Connie, was giving. You know, we, we, we talked about the act of our treasures, right? We talked about, we talked about our, our time, our, our treasures, our, our talents, and our thoughts, right? How do we keep God first in those four key areas, principles, but I also talked about giving to God. Do you know we live in a generation? And the first lady will tell you, and I'm going to get in my soapbox. I normally don't do this, but first lady knows. I get so irritated in the culture, so frustrated with people talking about what they give to God. In so much that now today people are saying, well, just give God anything. That when you come to church, you can just tip God. I, I teach the tithe because there's principle in tithing. Now, I want you to understand why I say that. Now, now, now I want you to hear the man of God as he speaks. I want you to hear this, church, that, that, that in, in Genesis 4, there was a time where uh, both Cain and Abel wanted to get back in relationship with God. And I'm sure their mother and father told them about how great God is. It just so happens. Now remember, uh, Adam and Eve were not born out of a womb. They were born out of the hands of God. <laughs> uh, they didn't have a belly button. Come on, somebody. And I want you to see that, that those two boys, one came to worship and one came to give. Let me say it one more time. There are two boys, Cain and Abel. One of them came to worship. The other came just to give. Uh, one of them thought he could, he could some way manipulate through his giving attention with God. One of them said, I'm going to go worship God. And when you think about worshiping God, when, when Abel came before the Lord in worship, when he says, what am I going to give to him that is great? He surveyed all that he had. And said, I'm going to take the best of the best. And I'm going to present to God that which is very best. The other said, I'm just going to give because I want entertainment with God. And so he simply gave. Friend, do you know that that's religion? In the fullness of religion? When we're going through motions... When what we're doing, whatever we do for God, if it's some motion, some discipline, if it's not embedded in the idea that we come to worship God, we're going to give God less than what he deserves. I don't have to tell you what happened. Cain brought the firstlings and the fat thereof. 
And God accepted that because it was the best. Cain brought unto the Lord. Now watch this. Cain brought unto the Lord whatever he thought was in his heart to give. I hear that a lot, Brother Cano. People say, when you go to church, just give the Lord whatever's in your heart. Do, do, do you realize how ludicrous that statement is? Does, does anybody really understand how, how barbaric that statement is? How, how we butcher the name of God in that statement? Because let me ask you a question. Brother Connor, you're back there. If we really put in that offering plate, what if we worship God in our giving, if we really gave to God what was in our heart to give, we should give everything. You yourself should have thrown yourself into the offering basket. But God said, if you give a tenth, I'll see it as you gave everything. Which principle are you going to abide by? Now, brother and sister, if you're here today and you think you can give to God whatever in your heart, let it be everything. Because if it's not everything, then you're not worshiping. Do you understand who we're dealing with? This is G-O-D. This is God. And he is preeminent. He demands the very best. But what does he do? He allows you in your spiritual mind to attribute to, to him what he's worth. How much is God worth to you? Doesn't he deserve the best? Do I have to argue the point? I hope I don't have to talk you into giving God the very best. I hope you know he deserves the very best. There's not one parent in here that doesn't have a baby, a child, a grandchild that doesn't believe their grandchild, their child deserve the very best. And if your children deserve it, how much more does God deserve it? That's why the Father said your own foes are going to be they of your own household. Because you're going to have to say say to yourself, am I giving more attention to my children than I'm giving to God? Am I giving more to a husband, to a spouse than I'm giving to God? And friends, I'm here to tell you, God is preeminent. He's number one. And he cannot be number two. He can only be one. And you have to hear that. Once you enthrone him, then everything else falls in place. Let me show you how. I want you to see that the Bible says, you're in in Genesis chapter 4, right? I want you to see in the Bible something unique that happens. I want you to see that this this man, Abel, had given to God that which was right before God. In fact, the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. And God testifying of him that he was righteous, that he did the right thing. Right? Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you tap your neighbor and say, you can give God everything and it's right. People say, well, how much should I give? Everything. How people ask me, well, Pastor, Pastor how, how, how zealous? Be zealous. <laughs> Be a fanatic. <laughs> give him everything. Come on, somebody. Well, you say give him everything. I mean, and even if you gave him everything, it's nothing at all. Come on, somebody. I just want you to see how profound this is. I want you to see that Abel, uh, uh, God attested to his gift by he accepted. Now, now I'm going to imbib somewhat on the Baba. I don't like to add or take away. But I can suggest that maybe God accepting his offering meant that it went up in flames, that it was consumed in the fire of God. And, of course, you know the story. Cain's offering was not accepted. It just stayed out wherever he put it up and began to rot away. As religion does. The Bible says that, that when that happened, I want you to catch this. Now listen to this carefully, church. For those of you who don't know the value of worship, I want you to understand that the Bible says that Cain became wroth and his countenance fell. He got mad. As religious people get mad. 
How many know religious people don't like the truth? Though they, though they claim to embody it. All the problems I've ever had in this church have been from religious people. I want you to hear what happens here. It's so unique. And that I want you to understand that, that this man Cain was, the Bible says, was wroth and his countenance fell. So much so that God came and asked Cain himself, Cain, why are you so raw? Why have you become so raw? Why, why is your countenance fallen? You know what God told him? If you do well, you'll be accepted. But if thou doest not well, what does he say? Sin lieth at your door. And unto him shall be his desires. Yeah. Who, who, whose desires? The enemy's desires. Do, do you understand that out of that religious notion and out of that religious spirit and that inability to worship came the desires of the enemy? Yeah. Uh, let, let me give you the converse. Do you know that the Bible says, delight thyself also in the Lord? And what does the Bible say? And he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's not saying that God's going to manifest your whims. What, he said, what the Bible is saying is that the desires of God now become your desires. How many want God desires? I mean, I know you got some desires, but if we lived out your desires, you'd probably be in jail. You'd be in bankruptcy court. You'd have all sorts of problems. But if you get God desires, how many want God desire? I want God desire. I want to get up in the morning. I want to have God desire. I just want to get up and say, you know, my prayer life is this. Father, uh, whatever you need me to do today, that's what I'm going to do. Open my eyes and open my ears that when I go out into the world, I can see the world through your eyes and hear the world through your ears. Let me be attentive to your will, not my own. That's God desire. And friend, the sad thing about this is that if we don't enthrone God, if God does not have his rightful place, you won't possess his desires. He won't give them to you. I want God desires. Now, did you catch that? I wanted to show you what happened. Now, you know the story. The Bible says that, 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 that Cain uh, talked with Abel, his brother. Uh, they were in a field. And the Bible says that the, and Cain uh, talked uh, with his, uh, Abel, his brother. And the Bible says... And he rose up against him, now catch this, and slew him. So, so there was probably some conversation, and I'm sure Abel was trying to help him understand that you can't give God second. You, you can't give to God whatever you want to give to God. Everything we do for God has to come out of a heart of worship. It, it has to be embodied with God deserves the very best of what I have. Whatever it is that you have. So catch this. So Cain, the giver, slew the worshiper. Just set, let that settle on you for a minute. So God comes and asks him, Listen to the irreverence. I, I, I want you to hear somebody talk to God as they, as they, they don't know who they're talking to. Do, do, do you know that when God asks you a question, he doesn't, he's not looking for an answer. He already knows. He's trying to draw out of you what's inside your heart. 
You know what he came and asked him? Where is your brother Abel? Where's Abel, your brother? You know, you know what Cain told him? I don't know. Now listen. This is what he told God. Am I my brother's keeper? What does he have to do with me? What do I have to do with him? I am not my brother's keeper. We know inherently when we hear that, that he is wrong with the capital W, right? We understand that he is walking contrast, right? Counter the faith that God would have him to profess. Hello. Do, do, do you know that that conversation is still with us? Let me say it again. Do you know that that conversation with, let me give it to you in, in biblical terms. A, a, a certain attorney stood up and tempted Jesus by saying, Master, what is the greatest commandment? To which Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The attorney responds by telling Jesus, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus says, do this and live. But the Bible says, but he willing to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? Let me say it one more time. But he willing to justify himself said, who's my neighbor? Consider what I just said to you because I'm giving you Genesis chapter 4 and New Testament revelation. He wants to know who's my neighbor. So Jesus gave him the story of what we call the Good Samaritan. Yeah. You remember that story? Yeah. Where, the, where, the, where the priest went by and looked upon the man who was robbed, who was beaten, was half dead, laying by the side of the street, looked upon him and walked on by? Yeah. Or the Levite, the one who was in control, the one who was of the tribe of Aaron, the one who was the priest of the house of the Lord, walked on by? Mm-hmm. But we saw the Samaritan who came and looked upon the the man, bound up his wounds, put him on his ass, took him to an inn, made sure that he got well. And then Jesus, to whom do you suppose was a neighbor of the man that fell among the thieves? And you know what the attorney says? Well, I suppose the one who showed mercy. To which Jesus says, do this and live. Let Let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. Harvest Point Church, this is who I'm talking to. This is what the Spirit sent me to come and ask you. How far does your faith matriculate? You you were out all week. Did you see anybody that needed help? Did did, did you come to anybody's aid? Did you go out of your way to do something for somebody? How far does your faith go? Is it only uh, with your children, your grandchildren? Is that the only extent of the kindness that you could show through the week? Listen, brother, sister, we got to get on with the business of God. The, the business of God is you've been commissioned to go out into the world to make impact. Amen. And the moment that we just simply look at our homes and all our lives is our lives, and there's no going, 
Listen, it's my assumption. Listen, it's my assumption that you want to impact the kingdom of God before he comes. I want to be of impact for the kingdom before the Lord returns. I want to impact this world by the love of Christ. I want to go out and do the work of the kingdom of heaven. I suppose you do too. Anybody here want to go out and make impact? I pray that that be your heart. And you know you're going to have to have God prioritize. You're going to have to know what it is to worship God, to get his desires, to know what he wants, to see the things that are moving on around you. I say this is proxy. I say this is proxy. Watch this. You you know, the Spirit told me what's missing here. Let let me tell you. Do, Do you know that a church can become narcissistic? Do you know that a church can become narcissistic even in its prayer life, in its devotion? Let me tell you how we do it. If we all come together and the only devotion or petition or request before God is on your behalf, which brothers and sisters, listen, I'm here to tell you, if you've got a petition or if you've got a need, I'm here for you. So so I don't want to make that sound like that's bad in and of itself. The problem is if we're not here by proxy, The Spirit of the Lord says, you know where God manifests? Where people come by proxy. That means you're bringing somebody from work. They're not here, but you're bringing them with you into the house of the Lord. Your neighbor that's struggling, your friend over there, a cousin, an aunt or uncle, who has nothing to do with God, but you're here because you know they need help. And you're here because you want to be the person who God uses to bring life to that situation. It's proxy. The Spirit of the Lord said, do you know that if you come on behalf of others, you manifest, you draw upon God? He's here if you have a need. Amen. If you have a need, touch your neighbor and say, we're here if you have a need. But it's got to be more than you. Can you receive that in Jesus' name? I receive that in Jesus' name. It's got to be more than just me. It's got to be more than just me. It's got to be more than just me. Your life has to be more than just you. It has to be more than just your husband, your spouse, and your kids, and your immediate family. It has to be more than just what's there around you, your own foes of your house. They can compare. They're the ones that are going to judge you on judgment day. Did you do more for your family than you did for somebody out in the street, somebody who really needed help? Listen, I always tell my kids when their birthdays come around, I say, you don't need nothing. Every day is your birthday. When Christmas comes around, what do we tell them? They don't need nothing. Every day is Christmas. If you live at my house, every day is Christmas. That's how blessed my house is. Brothers and sisters, if that blessing doesn't go any further than my front door, then I'm not making impact in the world. No, I said all of that to bring you into attention of the faith of the centurion. Did you hear what I just said? I said all of that to show you the proxy, the power of proxy. Uh, Let let, let me, let let, let me help you just digest that, the the power of proxy. Do do you know, how many know last week, how many know the commissions, right? Uh, 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 St. Matthew chapter 28, St. Mark 16. If you don't know the commissions, read them. Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Watch what he says. And lo, I am with you even unto the ends of the world. How does Jesus go with us? Through his name. Because I come in the name of the Lord. I come in his name. Come in his name. I come in the name of the Lord. The best person. Brother Nick, I don't know if you want to say amen, but the best person that can come through your door when you're at ICU is the person who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes in the name. Because when the person comes in the name of the Lord, what they say in his name comes to pass. I want to make impact in the world. And so I've gotten under the name of the Lord. I am a man set under his name. Now, let me show you the power of proxy. So here is a centurion who isn't coming to Jesus because his wife is ill, his daughter is ill, his son is ill. He's coming to Jesus because there's a servant who is dear to him, who is sick and is laying in bed waiting to die. I have to conclude by the nature of which the centurion, his, his, his ability to, to in, in money, in, in wealth, for the Bible says that he had already built a house, a synagogue for the Jews, a synagogue that even he couldn't go into because he's a Gentile. Can you imagine that you would build a house for Jewish people and that house that you built, you couldn't even walk in because you're a dog. But he loved God. He was a lover of Yahweh. And he built a house in the honor of God, not in the tradition of men, but he gave it to God. He built a house for the Lord. So much so that even the Jews said he's worthy that you would even come to his house. He's worth it. <laughs> Uh, notice that the centurion sent people to Jesus because he himself didn't see himself as worth it. Because uh, this story is about worship, friends. It's about worship. He says, I'm not even worthy that, that would, you would even come into my house. And notice what he says. Now, what, now, now I want you to catch this because this is profound. This, the, the, the story of the centurion breaks all of religious tradition. Let, 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 let me... Let me digress for a minute because I, sometimes I go too fast and the Spirit slows me down and says, slow down because you need to tell them how profound this is. Let me, let me, let me share something with you. Jesus had three years of public ministry. Th three years, 36 months to communicate the heart of God to fallen men. Three years. You, you, you know what made it so difficult? In those three years, everywhere Jesus manifested a miracle, he had to be in person. You understand that in the days of Jesus, you, you, you didn't take an airplane over to Capernaum. You, 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 didn't, you, you didn't get on your phone, get on your app, call an Uber to take you from Jerusalem down to Capernaum. No, brother and sister, you got to walk. Everywhere Jesus went, he had to walk to get there. 
And every miracle up until that point, Jesus had to be present in person. Think, think, about, think about how difficult that would be that, that to communicate your message. You could, you know, today, you know, this message will be communicated on compact disc. We're, we have a, 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 a podcast. We, we've got stream, and people can tune in, and you can watch, and you can go by the convenience of your home and watch what's going on. But listen, in the days of Jesus, he had to walk over there. So when Jesus heard that a man said, you don't have to be here for the miracle to take place. You, you, you don't have to show up. You don't, you don't have to come in my house for the power of God to reveal itself. Just, just speak the word. That's profound. That's powerful. That's, that's life-changing. The Bible says that Jesus marveled at him. Look, in all of the Bible, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is God, right? He's, he's G-O-D. Only two times God marveled. Two times. He marveled in St. Mark chapter 6, where the Bible says that Jesus came to his own hometown, to Nazareth, prepared and able and apt to do all things, but you know, the people. They said, well, we know him. Man, we know Joseph. Are you talking about Mary? Yeah, we know Mary. Brothers, yeah, we know Joseph and James and Jude. We know all of them dudes, those sisters. And the Bible says that they were even offended at Jesus. And the scriptures say that Jesus could do no mighty work save lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And the Bible says, and Jesus marveled, listen, at their unbelief. I wonder if Jesus would hear, if he would stand on this podium and say, I marvel at your unbelief. Look him in the face. Look Jesus in the face. We have spiritual minds. Are we walking in faith? Jesus says, I'm with you. Lo, even unto the end of the world. Jesus knew that he wouldn't be here physically, but we go in his name. I, I, I go in the name of the Lord. I walk in his name. I speak in his name. I declare his name. And the Bible says there's no name given among men where a man might be saved. The Bible says there's no name in heaven, no name on earth, no name under the earth. That name is highly exalted. And it'll do exactly what it's meant to do. The name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. There's power in the name of Jesus. He marveled that a centurion said, just speak the word. Just say the word. You you, you see, I'm a man just like you. The difference is I know that you have authority over disease. I have authority over people. You, you, you see, my authority is in an emperor. His name is Caesar. And, and I'm set under his authority. And so if I say the one goes, he goes because it's as though Caesar's talking. Yes, sir. Oh, y'all didn't hear me? Yeah. Uh, when I tell one to come, he comes as though Caesar was there. Now, see, the good thing about my authority is that Caesar doesn't have to show up and stand right behind me. They just know that if I'm speaking in the name of Caesar, they better pay attention. They better do just as they're commanded to do. 
All you have to do is speak the word. Just, just, just say it, Jesus. Just, just say the word. Do, do, do you notice? Do you notice that in the Bible, Jesus didn't have to say a thing? Or did, did you read the transcript? Thank you, Luke, for giving us a transcript that there is no conversation, that Jesus said anything about him being healed. The Bible says that when those servants got back home, that guy was healed that hour that Jesus spoke that word. How do I convince the church to make impact if you don't think God is worthy of it? How do I give you to incentivize the idea that when we go in the world, we make impact for God if you haven't enthroned God in your own life? How do I prove to you that God wants to heal that person at your job that they told you they have cancer and they've been going back and forth to chemotherapy and all you do is empathize with them rather than say, in the name of Jesus, I declare you to be healed right here, right now. And listen, my friend, if you don't believe the devil's obey. If you don't know that when you speak in that name, the very devils tremble. I'll end right here. What time's? Oh, yeah, I got to stop. Man, that you would go. Oh, that you would go and see for yourself that his name has power. His name still has full authority. Full ability. I use it all the time. It's never failed me. Now hear this. Some of y'all know a man by the name of Moses. And the Spirit of the Lord brought me to this because there's something here in this story that's specific to our church. And I I want you to hear it, church family. Uh, Listen, when you get home today, I want you to share this message on your timeline and say every member of Harvest Point Church hear this message. It's specifically for us. I I, I want you to know there was a man by the name of of Moses who met God at the burning bush. And and, and while he was at the burning bush, God gave him a fantastic description of what he was going to do. Marvelous, the the good news of God delivering a nation of people after 400 years of slavery. God said, I'm going to set them free in just a few days. Marvelous news. You know what? Moses didn't believe it. And in fact, Moses didn't even want to go. He said, when I go back to these people, they ain't going to believe you talk to me. You you, you know what's weird? I come in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you a message, but you won't go. I'm going to tell you that, man, you're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to hear some stuff. Somebody's going to tell you about their problem, their situation, and you're going to listen to it, but you're not going to apply the authority of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. That, That on Tuesday, you're going to get some bad news, and when you hear it, you're just going to fall to the floor and die. Instead of applying the authority of Jesus to the situation. Moses tells God, I don't want to go. First of all, I stutter. You got the wrong person. 
You, you, you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? I, 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 can't, I can't even talk right. You got the wrong person. Let, 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 let Aaron, my brother, now see, he's articulate. He, he's a good talker. Let him talk. I didn't pick Aaron. I picked you. Y'all know this back and forth, right? But, but I want to show you that God said, okay, uh, Moses, what's in your hand? Interesting, this is Exodus 4. Hmm. I'm going to go home and see what 4, you know, I'll tell you tonight what 4, what 4 means to God. He says, what's in your hand? He says, a, 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 a staff. He's a shepherd. He says, throw it on the ground. And when you threw it on the ground, it became a serpent. And then God said this, pick it up by its tail. Now, now, some of you may not know what God is asking him to do. He's saying, pick it up by the tail. Picking up a snake by the tail is the worst place to pick up a snake with because if you pick up the tail, you sure enough going to get bit. How many know that a snake handler, when he's trying to get a hold of a snake, he gets a hold of the head of the snake? God said, grab its tail. How many of y'all like snakes? Anybody here like snakes? I don't like snakes. I don't want nothing to do with snakes. I don't want to touch. I look at them if they're in a glass box, but that's it. I don't, I don't even have no interest in that. I don't want to touch them. don't want to feed them. don't want to pet them. don't want them around my neck. don't want them in my house. don't want them anywhere. I don't like snakes, right? Anybody here like snakes? You like snakes? Well, good for you. But listen. <laughs> When God said, pick it up by the tail, Moses knew exactly what God was doing to him. He was testing him. Uh, good word. Years ago, I worked for the BSA early on in my career, and, and we were at a campground, and, and I just was talking to the kids about, they were the first campers at the campground, I said, listen, you know, when you're moving wood or moving sticks, you know, there's, you can run into, uh, there were rattlesnakes out there, copperheads, all sorts of snakes, water moccasins in the, in the, in the, uh, the lake that was there. I said, listen, you got to be careful, you, you know, so, so if you're moving things around, you see a snake, back away. No sooner than I said that, 10 minutes later, the kids were unpacking, and I saw a kid move a stack of wood. He was moving some firewood over, and he says, look, a snake. And I couldn't but say, stop, when he reached down to pick up that baby copperhead by its tail. And no sooner than he picked it up, that little copperhead, it's about this long, whipped around and bit him right there and almost killed him. Don't pick up snakes by the tail. (laughs) Moses, pick up that snake by the tail. You want to know that I sent you? Pick up the snake by the tail. You want to know that it's me giving you authority to go out and do it? Pick up the snake by the tail. Well, 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 I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to get hurt. Pick up the tail. Pick it up by the tail. Pick it up by the tail, Moses. And I'm sure he stood there and looked at that snake squirming about, slithering about. Pick it up, Moses. Pick it up. Pick up the snake by the tail. Lord, if I pick that snake up by the tail, I'll surely give it. Pick up the snake by the tail. And the Bible says when he reached over to touch that tail, became a staff again. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. 
You see, he had to overcome that fear of going for God by touching that snake by its tail. And as soon as he did that, that serpent became a staff again. Do you know that the staff, David said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let me tell you the comfort I have. Whatever hits my house, whatever news I hear, you know what I hear it through? The name of Jesus. So I don't get nervous. I don't get worried. Because there's everything I hear is under his name. You see, the rod and his staff, it comforts me. That whenever I'm hearing your dilemma, I know my God is bigger. Whenever I hear your problem, I know my God is greater. Whatever situation you went through, oh, check it out. Let me give you the news of the Lord. Let me share with you what God's going to do. You see, that rod and that staff, that comforts me. In other words, the staff of the kingdom of heaven is a sign of authority to the shepherd. So I'm going to give you the word. This is the word God gave me to give you. If you get under, you'll get over. That's what he told me. Woke me up out of my sleep. I said, preacher, if they get under, they'll get over. In other words, if I get under that authority, I'm going to get over the problem. If I get under the authority, I'm going to get over the thing I'm dealing with. But I have to first come under before I get over. Friends, brothers and sisters, are you under the authority of the name of Jesus? Have you set yourself there and given worship to God to say, Father, there is nothing. There is nothing greater than you. Nothing can even compare to you. To whom will I give likeness to you? There's nothing to compare you to. God, you are able. For the Father says, I am exceedingly, abundantly able to do more than what you ask or think, more than what you can even imagine. And today, brothers and sisters, I think it's time that we get under. You say, well, how do I get under? You got to pick up that snake by that tail. Say, I've been purposed to do this. This is what God sent me to do. Come on, stand up with me. Listen. Listen, listen brothers and sisters. I, I, don't, I don't want you to walk out here like, like, like Cain did all upset. <laughs> Bible says he, he, he was very wroth. You know, did you know that wrath is a, an expression of saying turning white? Anybody understand? People like to say they got so mad they got black. They, 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 all they saw was black. You ever heard somebody say that they blacked out in their anger? That's not even the worst of it. When they say I whited out, that's when you really mad, when you whited out, not blacked out, whited out. <laughs> Listen, don't get mad at the message I preach to you. It's, it's Rima, it's fresh. Yes, it's empowered by the very voice of God, by, by, the, uh, by, by his heart. Yes, the brother and sister, listen. It's time we get that staff back in our hands. Yes. That symbol of authority. Go, go out into the world and shepherd. You, you, you know what I pray? Let's do this. 
Let's, let's make this a, an object.